Greetings. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Fernando Alcoholic, and I got a co-host with us. It's my friend Patrick. We're going to both be reading portions from the Grapevine story. So let's go ahead and open it up with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Our first story from the grapevine comes to us from June 2023. It's called Passages I Love. Instrumental thoughts on instincts, prayer, traditions become useful, faith, and Oh, yeah, Rule 62. I'm sitting here reflecting on how our 12 and 12 has helped me on my journey of recovery. My sponsor often states this from the forward. AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. I want to share some other passages that have meant a lot to me. When we work the steps, my sponsor shares with me steps forwards, instincts for sex, security, and society. In the chapter on step 12, it says, True ambitions is not what we thought it was. True ambitions is the deep desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God. And in step four, it reminds us that nearly every serious emotional problem can be seen as a case of misdirected instinct. When that happens, our great natural assets, the instincts, have turned into physical and mental liabilities. Later, I joined a step study group that used the 12 and 12 along with our big book. Step by step, we used both books. I got a deeper understanding of the steps and how to apply them to my life. The meeting was held at what would become my present sponsor's home. The meeting had been started 20 years earlier. Alkies were all over the living room, kitchen, and hallway. We would also study the traditions out of the 12 and 12. The only problem was that we lost about half the crowd then, but the traditions weren't as boring or glum as I thought. I learned the need of surrendering up my ego for the greater good and unity of the group and AA as a whole, and I got to learn about Rule 62. Don't take yourself so damn seriously. I was talking to a longtime friend about Steps 11, St. Francis Prayer, and how it helped me to be more useful to God's kids. He said he had a study group of the St. Francis Prayer and asked if I would be interested. His study helped me grow so much in understanding and effectiveness. Here's an example. One day, my granddaughter and her one-year-old son left our home and got into a horrific car accident. The car was destroyed and ended up in its roof. The little guy was banged up, but his mom was in intensive care, and no one knew if she would make it. In step 11, it says, Our immediate temptation would be to ask for specific solutions to specific problems and for the ability to help other people as we have already thought they should be helped. In that case, we are asking God to do it our way. This is where I learned to say, God, heal her in the way you see fit. Thy will, not mine, be done. As a result, my fear subsided, and I was able to return to comfort the family and trust the great physician. 
Then finally, there's the spiritual action in step 10. That every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. I used to utilize the yeah, but, and was told there are no yeah, buts in AA. Others are not the problem. These are only a few of the passages from our 12 and 12 that have helped me to not only stay sane and sober, but to continue to be of maximum service to God and to others. Rule 62, huh? Yeah, what do you think about that, Patrick? Yeah, I didn't even know what that was until recently, and I said, oh, that explains an awful lot. Yeah, I do take uh, <laughs> myself too seriously, and I do think I'm, I'm all that sometimes. And uh, when I look at the big picture, it's like, yeah, okay, today I'm so wound up in this problem, but uh, I could probably guarantee this time next week I'll forget all about what's bugging me, 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 why I'm so important, and it, it will become something to kind of laugh about. So, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of truth in that rule of 62. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, something I wish I could remember to practice every day in all my affairs, but... <laughs> Anyway, yeah, I could be kind of glum and somber at times, uh, but when the humor comes out and I keep most of the warped stuff to myself, <clears throat> especially in mixed company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, don't take yourself too seriously. It's true. Uh, life is too short to sit there and worry and eat a hole in your gut over what may or may not happen and what. why did they look at me funny and someone's got an attitude and, Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, Rule 62, sign me up. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Yeah, what I got out of it is the, the uh, that was pretty cool. I saw where that step 11, where we do the reading just about every week in our meditation meeting. And I saw the, the uh, thy will not mine be done. You know, it was a. Uh, Turning it over properly to, to a higher understanding that God has all the wisdom. He is, um, God is loving. God wants the best. God's will is to, to live happy, joyous, and free. And uh, he's the great physician. Either God is or God is not. So that, that one's pretty, it relieves us of playing God when we're trying to get someone healed with our faith. When I'm trying to get somebody changed with my hope, my faith. You know, and when I say, thank you, God, for this person just the way they are. Thank you, God, for the challenges we're facing. Or thank you, God, for the opportunities. Thank you, God, that we may grow bigger than our problems in these situations. You know, that we may get more wisdom, which is in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. All right. All right. Would you like to read another story, please? Sure. This is, my name is Patrick, and I'm an alcoholic in recovery. Hey, Patrick. This reading is also from the AA Grapevine. And uh, just a little warning, it is, there is a little gravity to this subject matter uh, that we, we will all ultimately face at some point. And it's titled, Room to Grieve. Losing a struggling AA friend can be devastating. One member thinks we don't discuss this enough. It was December of 2018. I had called the police multiple times. 
After that last call, when she wouldn't answer her phone, I had an ominous feeling. I've got a bad feeling, I texted my friends. Then I waited alone, in that uncomfortable dread for a phone call back from the police. When the officer did call me back, it was not good news. She was dead. There was a gun and it was fatal. There can be no worse feeling except for the call to her family to tell them the tragic news. I don't know why I continue to suffer from the delusion that because I'm sober, you're sober, that I have somehow developed superhuman capabilities so the pain of this world doesn't affect me. I'm acutely aware today just how fragile I am and I'm consciously working on attempting to tell myself it's okay that I hurt. I know this because when my beautiful friend died by suicide in December, I was forever changed. <clears throat> she was like so many of the alcoholics we meet, struggling with staying sober, in and out of rehabs, detoxes, ERs, and hospitals. I had known her for six years. I had sponsored her, been her friend, and loved her like my own child. And it wasn't like she didn't try. She would do anything I suggested, get in the car, get on a plane, do what we do. But the disease always overtook her. This may seem like an outside issue, but I believe that I'm not alone, and it deeply affects us in the rooms. No one talks about the vicarious trauma that can occur with working with others in the program. So here are a few facts. <clears throat> Nearly 90% of all suicides that occur are associated with a diagnosable mental health, or a substance abuse disorder. The likelihood of suicide as diagnosed alcoholics is between 60 and 120 times of the non-psychiatrically ill individual. That's high, extremely high. My friend was not my first AA friend to die from suicide, <clears throat> but she was my closest loss. And I know I'm not the only one touched by this loss in AA, do we talk about it in, in any of our literature? Do we often treat our emotional sobriety as an outside issue? What are the common themes among those who attempt suicide? Feelings of hopelessness, despair, isolation? Sound familiar? I know I have felt the same feelings in the last 10 months since her death. Isolated by my feelings of loss, hopeless to be able to save someone's life, I'm fortunate I have been surrounded by loving members of the fellowship, and I'm certainly grateful for that support. Yet my pain remains. Being in the middle of this fellowship means feeling joy like we've never felt it, but possibly in loss as well. Based on the statistics, we alcoholics have a higher likelihood that we will be exposed to this pain and tragedy at some point. <clears throat> Can we find compassion and empathy for those who have experienced this? Can we not make callous remarks such as so-and-so went back out so we don't have to, or they died so we can live? Many people don't realize the additional pain that can cause with these remarks. I don't have all the answers. I'm just profoundly aware that this topic affects many of us. I wish we could find a way to help each other more. I know today to reach out to those who listen and will give me the space to grieve. I don't judge myself for feeling sad, and I share my pain. <clears throat> I know it's difficult sometimes in an AA meeting filled with laughter and humor to share that which is not funny or happy, but this is where I am today. Recovery has taught me the only way through something is through it.
to their own self be true. That was from Madeline P. in Clackamas, Oregon. I know that place. Well, um, yeah, I, I'm not immune to that either. Uh, my youngest brother and I, my youngest brother now is 25 years clean. Uh, we had someone close to us that uh, just uh, just would not admit that they had a problem. The problem was so bad with this person that it's almost like he had a, uh, a bottle surgically attached to his hand 24-7. Get a little water bottle, fill it with vodka. As soon as it was nearing uh, being empty, refill it again, time and time again. This person displayed no outward appearances of uh, having a drinking problem. Clear skin, talked clearly, didn't stumble, fall, stagger, wasn't rude, loud, belligerent, or obnoxious. <clears throat> and we tried, and we tried, and we tried. Until we got the call one day that that person, who was our older brother, died, was found bled out in a hotel room in Texas. Uh, he was only 48 years old, uh, but that's what happens. That's the nature of it. And it doesn't end with the funeral or the services. The pain is there. The memories are there. And the, yeah, what could I have done stuff, it's all still there. All the doubt and all the, well, I could have done this, could have, would have, should have. But there again, it comes to being helpless. I, there is nothing we can do or anybody on earth we could do. Uh, this person, he being my brother, I can say this, he did have an ego problem and the guy was extremely intelligent, probably too smart for his own good. But anyway, I still deal with it all the time. There's reminders everywhere, wherever I go. And he is missed, and very fondly, of course. So that's my experience with that. My experience is um, I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Wow, I'm sorry for your loss. What a what a great great um, witnessing! What were those statistics that they they said? Uh, oh, the offhand ninety uh, percent or something. Oh, statistically, pardon me, Mark. Mm, da, 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 da. Oh, 90, 80, 90% of all suicides that occur are associated with a diagnosable mental health or substance abuse disorder. The likelihood of suicide in diagnosed alcoholics is between 60 and 100 times that of non-psychiatrically ill individual. Did you so, understand that? Can you give it to me in layman's terms? Uh, yeah, we're more prone to it um, due to a lot of our own factors, you know, emotions, mental state. Uh, there could be secondary issues like dual diagnosis, I guess. Could be meds. Mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. be... Uh, just circumstance, just everything happening at once for anybody. Basically, it shows we're not Superman, you know, mm. nobody, alcoholic or not. You know, um, Fernando Alcoholic, uh, Rule 62 popped into my mind, <clears throat> like you said, you know, uh, don't take yourself too seriously. And to pop, pop that bubble, you know, um, I usually what I do is, is I went to a, a meeting, actually, it was more like a convention where the, uh, the educator there, as a matter of fact, the guy was talking about that you pick up your hands and you say, oh, what the heck, I'm going to thank God anyway. Or you can say, oh, what the hell, mm -hmm. I'm going to thank God anyway. And that would break the bubble, that thing on your shoulders. Or that's another way of saying, uh, I thank you, God, I'm not taking myself too seriously.
it opens the door from the inside and lets the uh, lets the heat out. Let's the uh, so one of the things that um, would help for for me was the laughter, you know, not to take myself too seriously uh, because it builds up. It builds up. What are you thinking? <laughs> What's the smile for? <laughs> oh, the rule sixty two thing again. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking. Okay, if I could step out of myself and observe myself when I'm sitting there in this sulky mood of being, you know, self-pity and what am I going to do and no one cares. And and I'd probably look at myself and laugh. Say, yeah, your parents didn't raise a little sissy boy. <laughs> They'd say, get up and get on your feet and do something. It doesn't matter. Just do something positive. Like I was reading today, some guy said one of the uh, instrumental things in him was, uh, not just, you know, attending meetings and, and uh, growing spiritually, but developing a hobby, keeping busy with something constructive. Um, and I've noticed that does help, but I was that's why I was laughing. It's like, yeah, if I could just sit there and, like, have an out-of-body experience and say, look at that pathetic, sad sack over there, sitting on his bed, slumped over, like that painting you see in the AA meetings, the guy in the bed with the two guys. Yeah, that's me, like, on a mental skid row. And, uh... And I, when I get out of it, I kind of laugh. I say, man, I wasted all that time doing nothing but thinking. Think, 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 think. And what's, what's the net result? Nothing. Zero. Because thinking by itself actually nets you zero. It's, it's following up with action that breeds results. You know, um, we had a lady that uh, in her beginning, they made her a literature person. I think, believe you know her. And she... Uh, she would say, she's got about 40 years now, and she would say, well, I can't kill myself. i got to take those literature things to the next meeting, you know. <laughs> yeah. She was thinking of driving the car off, you know, the embankment up the hill. <laughs> and it was hilarious, you know, that uh, suicide thoughts will pass. We have had a couple of incidents that I was close. One guy in a recovery center, he was here with me for four years, and he just did it the... Uh, the confused pharmaceutical way. You get confused, you get, you forget if you took one pill or not, supposedly for your whatever, nerves, and you get addicted to them. Pharmaceutical, um, even uh, surgery deaths in hospitals is very dangerous, I hear. And number four killer is pharmaceutical dispensing. United States, you know, mm -hmm. overdose on yes. that. And you would think that they would make those pain doctors um, responsible. That's what happened to my sister. Just She was always high on that stuff um, emotionally. But getting back to what the solution is, the solution for me is putting your keys and your shoes under your bed. And then I get up and I say, thank you, God, for this day. I'm not feeling it. The idea that my prayers are honest. I don't know if you're there. I don't feel it. But I'm doing this anyway. You know, it, it, it just it feels right. So I thank you for this day. And I'll say a couple of our fathers and so forth. And before you know it, I get a thought. And I jump on my feet. And I take off. And I go, wow. Did I finish my prayers or what? All of a sudden, I got some kind of energy. And that happened to me today. I didn't feel like doing anything. Same old, same old, go to the meeting, blah, 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 get dressed. I got so many things to do, but I, still, I made the meeting. But the fact is, is that 
power comes in. Real, real power, enthusiasm, power to do life. And and the way I see it is we're not accessing or letting ourselves receive that power by acting like we believe, by acting that prayer works, by acting that God is listening to us. That is our faith. And and we got to get the flint. That's the flint going is on our part, choosing the right direction instead of, Oh, what a terrible day. Say, oh man, what a good day. Remarkable things are going to happen. I have a sign that says expect a miracle. And it was dormant on my wall, my office wall. I took it off and I put it in the hall. And then it started to affect me. Then I took it off and I put it in my, by my TV. Now I got it by my bed. I'm moving it around so my subconscious mind can say, hey, what's up with that? You know, your subconscious mind kind of just takes a a computerized of the surroundings. And when something's new, it starts wondering what you got there. So peripherally, I'm, 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 and then I'm getting that, um, the hope reinstated. Uh, but I noticed I didn't have it before my prayer. I didn't have it. Hmm. <laughs> I was, I was just bowling. Like, you know, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> read this, read that, whatever. I, I'm lost too. I'm lost. I, after almost 30 years of, um, and I've been involved in AA since the 80, early 80s, and I'm still very, very loose. I lose my hope, my faith, my believing. So I have to act like I believe to get the motor started. Is that some? Yeah, it reminded me of uh, an old United States Army uh, TV recruiting commercial. And it said, we get more done by 7 a.m. Than you, than you will all day long. <laughs> and with that, there's a lot of truth to that. With that, I can just say this. Why don't we all become an army of one? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Dismissed. <laughs> Greetings and good evening. My name is Patrick and I'm an alcoholic in recovery. And I'll be joined tonight by my brother-in-arms in recovery, Fernando who also happens to be tonight's sound engineer. And by sound, I didn't mean sane. Uh, Tonight, December 10th, 2023, we'll be reading from the AA Grapevine. And tonight's story is titled, Tough Crowd. A member in Oregon finally remembers the old geezers at his home group who liked to bark orders. Luckily, he grabbed on to Daryl. Sometime in my first couple of weeks sober in 1985, I wandered into the men's Monday night step meeting. A dozen or so guys, mostly crusty, rusty geezers, sitting around a table with copies of the 12 Steps and the 12 Traditions book. They seemed like AA fundamentalists. I was still coming out of the fog and my brain wasn't working very well. I heard these geezers talking about something called amends but since I didn't know what that meant, I felt lost. After they read a chapter aloud, they took turns discussing it. When my turn to speak came around, I blathered something. Probably I complained about my day. Suddenly, one of the older relics, Mike, pointed a bony finger at me and roared, Why don't you hush up? You don't know anything about staying sober. Well, wow, resentment is the number one offender. Our big book says, I instantly hated that guy. Why in the world I made this my home group, I don't know. It must have been a God thing. 
But I was agnostic when I arrived in AA, and I didn't know about that either. <clears throat> or maybe I just wanted to no annoy those guys. In any case, I've never had another drink. I soon learned that this meeting had a group conscience that newcomers couldn't talk for their first 90 days. Hallelujah. They needed to take the cotton out of their ears and put it in their mouths. These guys would say during their second 90 days, newcomers were allowed to talk, but only to ask questions, since it was deemed that they still didn't know anything. On their six-month anniversary, having listened to the discussion of all the steps and traditions, pigeons, as they called us then, were ordered to chair the meeting. They didn't give out chips for months of sobriety, but on your one-year birthday, they decided that you were worth a buck and gave you a medallion. I was so proud when I achieved this milestone. But that old SOB, Mike, came up to me and said, I just wanted you to know that I lost a whole lot of money on you tonight. Tough crowd. The meeting was strictly closed for alcoholics only. It was jokingly called the Admit It or You're Out group. <clears throat> Someone brought a guest to the meeting once and both were similarly ejected. There were plenty of other meetings those people could go to, the old timers figured. Did they keep people from getting sober? Maybe. But their attitude was that when you're broken enough, nothing can keep you from getting sober. Our co-founder, Dr. Bob, had a, rep had a reputation for being rough on folks, too. But underneath, he loved them. These guys loved newcomers, too, at least the quiet ones. I should mention that they insisted I get a sponsor, so I asked Daryl if he would do that. He was slightly less belligerent than the others. When we went out for coffee, Daryl told me that he would take me through the steps straight out of the first seven chapters of the big book. I thought I was pretty smart, but he had to explain to me what some of the big book meant. What the heck does the goose hung high mean? Daryl explained it meant all was well. During the Great Depression, to have a goose hung high was a sign of wealth or good fortune, which may have come from the superstition that when geese flew low, there were evil spirits present, and when they flew high, all was well. Daryl also enlightened me about the things like Napoleonic references to Elba and St. Helena in the big book. I have since been able to pass this understanding on to new guys I work with. When I got to the end of the chapter six in the big book, Daryl said that the first 11 steps were the program of AA, and that step 12, excuse me, served as instructions for what to do with it. <clears throat> I will never forget him saying, Robert, you've been a taker all your life. Now it's time to be a giver. AA members started taking me on 12-step calls, and I took the night shift answering the hotline, talking to wet ones still out there drinking. This group believed in service. <clears throat> Newcomers at their one-year birthday become group secretary, which meant getting the key to the church, arriving to the meeting early, setting up the tables and chairs, starting the coffee, putting out the literature, and after the meeting, putting everything away and sweeping the floor. Each new member with a year of sobriety bumped the existing secretary to become the intergroup rep, who in turn was bumped to alternative GSR. That began my adventure of general service. The group funded their GSR to attend assemblies 
and then told the GSR to stand for DCM. There were, there were several past DCMs in the group, and many of them have served at the area level as well. The group treasurer was a past area treasurer and chair of the area finance committee. <clears throat> Once I was loaded into a car and was told we were going to a meeting. Imagine my surprise when we arrived at the state hospital to take a meeting inside. Later, after I was DCM, I chaired the hospitals and the institutions committee for the area before taking my turn as area treasurer. I took meetings to that state hospital for 17 years and to prisons and jails for the next for the past 32 years. I still sit on the area corrections committee and coordinate with six facilities in the northwest part of the state, even helping to restart AA meetings after the pandemic. <clears throat> I had come to love those old boys at my first own group. As for Mike, I cried like a baby at his funeral. He just may have saved my life. And that was from Robert P. Amityville, Oregon. Well, I'm going to hand this over to Fernando for a second, if he's got any uh, things to say about this, some comments, insights. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. Fernando. I uh, don't have too much to say. The wife kept texting me, asking me what kind of cards we need for Christmas. <laughs> I told her fun things, you know, like out going out and eating and having something different to do, picture shows, and she goes, Costco? And I go, why did she ask me that, you know? She already has something <laughs> planned. I always tell her, why do you ask me? Like, you want to argue, you know? Yes, and gas Phillips. Okay. Getting back to the uh, learning to be, to not take myself too seriously is what I understand on that. But please, I'd like to hear your your dialogue on it. My dialogue with what this man was saying was, sure, I was introduced to AA many, many years ago <clears throat> by some rusty and crusty old geezers just like this guy, too. <laughs> Wasn't as harsh as that. We weren't ordered to sit down and sit in the corner and shut up or anything. But it, was, uh, it wasn't really encouraged for new people to talk. As what the guy said, what do we know as newcomers about staying sober, which was true. And so I really did, I did shut my mouth and open my ears. And not only that, I observed how these older folks or people with time in the program worked consistently. And yes, they showed up. Uh, but more important, uh, they were of service. And fast forward to today, right currently at this moment, I'm sitting next to someone, my sponsor, who leads by example. He was always doing something of service for somebody. And I'm sure there's times where he'd rather be doing something else like watching tonight's football game <clears throat> with the volume on, which it's, it's down right now. We're kind of cheating a little bit. But uh, <laughs> he does it selflessly. And uh, he uh, is a very, very grateful, uh, recovered alcoholic, recovering. And uh, I rarely hear him complain about anything. And like I said, he leads by example, uh, not so much words. So right now, uh, I I'd like to think uh, I'm, in, uh, I'm in very good hands as far as learning how to be of service and getting out of myself and up off my ass and doing something for somebody, even if it's just holding a door open for somebody, for God's sake, something simple. 
You never know. You may make someone's day or even save their life by a simple gesture of kindness or a smile. Amen. Very good. Thank you so much. That's, uh, you were listening at your own reading. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, Why don't you? And, and, uh, and, and, <laughs> and sometimes I don't, you know. I have well, to... as long as you were listening to me. <laughs> but that whining in the background is, um, uh, is Patrick's dog, not mine. And the dog's trying to tell us something. We can't figure out what he's trying to tell us. And, uh, and it reminds me of a newcomer that I'm working with at 40 days. They have an opinion of everything, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's either the smoke of the, of the barbecue or the breakfast or someone or something. And it's, it's, and it's I saw a movie called Changing Lanes with uh, Jackson and the other, the other guy. And the, and the sponsor tells him, he bails him out of jail. And he goes, you're not addicted to alcohol. You're addicted to chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what, why we need to keep on learning and keep on, because we see people in the same category, you know. And to me, that's what I was thinking. I said, I'm being too easy. You need to shut up, sit down. You don't have any opinions at 40 days. You got to keep your mouth shut, you know. <laughs> And, and that's, I'm being too, too, too nice on that person because why am I nice? Because they say they don't belong, belong to God. They're atheists. I said, well, thank God I'm an atheist too. Thank God, you know. <laughs> I'm not, but, you know, that's the only reason I'm being kind. I'm just trying to, I'm curious, how can I uh, have a person come out of their denial and they have so many opinions on the, on the program that... The old timers had it together, you know, rough and tough. I need to learn that. So, and with that note, I'm going to read you a very old article from the grapevine. Actually, maybe one of the first ones that came out in 1944 of July of the grapevine. It's called, Charming is the Word for Alcoholics. Mm. Oh, by the way, let's go ahead and pray. The serenity prayer, yeah. Yeah. Let's pray the serenity prayer, yes. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Okay, I, I wasn't listening. Let's uh let's go ahead and, let's go ahead and say uh the uh, okay prayer. That's found on page 416 of the AA Big Book, the OK Prayer. It goes, Okay, God, it is true that I, of all people, even though I didn't give my permission, really, really am an alcoholic of sorts, and that's all right with me. Now, what am I going to do about it? Amen. So the beauty of that prayer is you're coming out of denial and you have a higher power that's going to run your life. And and with some humor in it. Hmm. All, right. All right, here we go. Charming is the word for alcoholics, July 1944. Down at the very bottom of the social scale of AA society are the pariahs, <laughs> the untouchables, and the outcasts, all underprivileged and all known by one ex exhilarating <laughs> epithet, relatives. Did I pronounce that word right? 
excoriating. Excoriating. Yeah. Relatives. I am a relative. I know my place. I am not complaining, but I hope no one will mind if I venture the plaintive confession that there are times, oh, many times, when I wish I had been an alcoholic. By that, I mean that I wish I were in AA. The reason is that I consider the AA people the most charming in the world. Such is my considerate opinion. As a journalist, it has been my fortune to meet many people who are considered charming. I I number among my friends stars and lesser lights of stage and cinema. Writers are my daily diet. I know the ladies and gentlemen of both political parties. I have been entertained in the White House. I have broken bread with kings and ministers and ambassadors. And I say after that catalog, which could be extended, that I would prefer an evening with my AA friends to any person or group or persons I have indicated. I ask myself why I consider so charming these alcoholic caterpillars who have found their butterfly wings in Alcoholics Anonymous. There are more reasons than one, but I can name a few. The AA people are what they are, and they were they what they were because they are sensitive, imaginative, possessed of a sense of humor and an awareness of universal truth. They are sensitive, which means that they are hurt easily, and that helped them become alcoholics. But when they found their restoration, they are still as sensitive as ever responsive to beauty and to truth and eager about the intangible glories of this life that makes them charming companions. They are imaginative and that helped to make them alcoholics. Some of them drank to flog their imaginations on to greater efforts. Others guzzle only to black out undurable, unendurable visions that rose in their imagination but when they have found their restoration, their imagination is responsive to new incantations. And their talk abounds with color and light, and that makes them charming companions too. They are possessed of a sense of humor. Even in their cups, they have been known to say damnly funny things. Often it was being forced to take seriously the little and mean things of life that made them seek escape in a bottle. But when they have found their restoration, their sense of humor finds a blessed freedom and they are able to reach a godlike state where they can laugh at themselves, the very height of self-conquest. Go to the meetings and listen to the laughter. At what are they laughing? At goalish memories over which weaker souls would cringe in useless remorse. And that makes them wonderful people to be with by candlelight. And they are possessed of a sense of universal truth that is often a new thing in their hearts. The fact that this at one moment with God's universe had never been awakened in them is sometimes the reason why they drank. The fact that it was at last awakened is almost always the reason why they were restored to the good and simple ways of life. Stand with them when the meeting is over and listen as they say, the Our Father. They have found a power greater than themselves, which they diligently serve. And that gives a charm that never was elsewhere on land and sea. 
it makes you know that God himself is really charming because the AA people reflect his mercy and his forgiveness. Fulton Orsler. Fulton. Oh, I know him. Fulton Orsler. Yeah, who was he? From the old Orsler family. <laughs> well, that explains yeah, a lot. They, they invented the Orsler. <laughs> You're joking with me. See, the <laughs> things... <laughs> The things I'm reading, I'm reading about Patrick here. Patrick is all these things, man. <laughs> I have known him, you know, when we had to use a spatula. Oh, yeah, we go way back. Uh, <laughs> used to uh, play soccer with his uh, niece. <laughs> uh, we used to wrestle, too, with his niece. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if he's kidding or not, but it sounds uh, like I, I want to hear the rest I'm, of the story. I'm very much kidding. Who was the guy that um, used to say the rest of the story? Paul Hardy. How, can you imitate him, please? How, how do you now, do? the rest of the story, something like that. It's been so long, but I, I used to love that guy's show. I used to tune in, um, like, daily just to hear him. A little 15, 10, 15-minute 15 uh, segment on uh, syndicated radio. In different, different topics or mostly politics uh, or what? Uh, mostly uh, personal stories, biographies. Oh, and he would say how uh, so and so grew up dirt poor and uh, suffered childhood uh, illnesses. They thought he'd never walk again. And went on to get a scholarship in football and this and that. And ended up playing major league baseball and uh, national football league football. And in in a moment, you'll know the rest of the story. And in that particular story, I remember was Bo Jackson. Wow, and then so, he they would break for a, a commercial? Like a, a little commercial ad blurb or something. Oh, and, that's where the rest of the story yeah, came out of. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure you can look him up on YouTube now or, or somewhere. Uh, it's really, a, a, it was a classic show uh, and unfortunately ended when he passed away. Did he uh, ever interview any alcoholics? I don't know. I couldn't tell you, but I'm pretty sure he had a very long career and he's probably spoken with all kinds of people from all walks of life and that always makes for a great story huh uh, yeah and uh probably added to his character and personality you know when he was on the radio <clears throat> uh, i know he rubbed elbows with presidents and uh world leaders and all that <clears throat> but uh i think outside of that he was lived a very low profile life wow hey man well thank you everyone for coming in here today we've just been sh shooting from the hip after dinner and having a great time about living sober and reading the articles of our brothers and sisters that mean a lot to us and and have given us it fired up our imagination i guess that's what i'm trying to say it fires up my imagination that i'm in the right place headed in the right direction with the right program and with the right set of problems nipping at my heels <laughs> All right, thank you. Anything else you want to add, Patrick? Uh, no, thank you. Uh, much inspired by today's uh, readings. Thank you. And we'll be back, and you guys can hear the rest of the story. <laughs> Tomorrow. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>